you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving and with singing, with cymbals, harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Nitophatites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshiah and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshalem, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets, Zechariah the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zachur, son of Asaph, and the relatives, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Maai, Nathanel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall, above the house of David, to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people, on the wall, above the tower of the ovens, to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim, and by the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. And the priests, Eliakim, Maseah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Elonai, Zechariah and Hananiah with trumpets, and Messiah, Shemaiah, Eliezer, Uzi, Jehonanan, Malkijah, Elam and Azer. And the singers sang with Jezrahiah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that, that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your kingdom and that Jesus reigns and rules supreme and sovereign over all. We ask, Lord God, that your kingdom would come. Would you reign supreme in our hearts and in our minds and in this church? 
that we would be a people surrendering to your will, trusting you, knowing that you are good. Be at work now, we pray, uh, for our good, for your glory. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. And all of God's people said with one super loud voice. Amen. amen, amen. City on a Hill, why don't we grab a seat? As we do, can we put our hands together for Jess and the band leading us? Thank you, Jess, uh, for leading us so well. Uh, wonderful to be with you guys. Great to be back. Uh, as some of you know, uh, I have been away for the last few weeks. Uh, my wife and I celebrated our 20th uh, wedding anniversary. Oh, clap again. Come on. And uh, we made it. Uh, <laughs> and to help celebrate, we took our four kids on a bit of an adventure to Thailand. Anyone been to Thailand before? Show of hands. Look, a few of you guys. Amazing, amazing place. And we really had uh, an incredible, incredible time in Phuket. Lots of adventures. One of our highlights was going to a elephant uh, rescue park. Um, this is where they've, uh, you know, rescued elephants from uh, difficult situations. We got to splash around, feed them, clean them, have a whole bunch of fun. Uh, this guy on the right, uh, I should say, uh, took a liking to Vanessa. Uh, so much so, uh, we see the next picture, he decided to eat her. So... <laughs> So yeah, marriage is over, but we're doing good. Uh, it's good to be back, feeling very refreshed, feeling encouraged to be with God's people. Ness and I were actually here last weekend, and just great to see how God's at work in this church. Uh, you know, we've been doing this serve, uh, rebuild for the last month, and Ness and I pretty much fell off our seat when we heard that a hundred, uh, hundred of you had uh, responded and said yes to serving in our church in a host of different ways. And this is such a testimony of God's goodness and grace. Uh, and speaking of which, just a, uh, a foreshadow moment for uh, our upcoming series, Left and Right. I think these guys are going to talk about that later in the series, uh, later in this service, but left and right, Jesus in a political age, uh, all the votes are in, the topics are now set, uh, and we are just a few short weeks away from what I think is going to be one of the most significant series in the history of City on a Hill. Uh, I, I'm really excited about this. Uh, we're going to have some great uh, uh, Sundays together, uh, looking at these big issues, going to have live Q&A. Uh, I know the team's working on some great uh, discussion content to help uh, for our gospel communities through the week. So this will be a really... Uh, uh, strengthening, Lord willing, uh, maturing, unifying time for our church. Uh, and I also believe it's going to be such a crucial series for our friends and our work colleagues who don't yet know Jesus. Because uh, I believe that Jesus not only has something to say about this world and the big issues that matter, but that his word's beautiful, true, and relevant for us all. So uh, I'd love you to be praying in anticipation for that series. And I'd love you to be inviting uh, your friends. The guys on our media team told me that uh, Facebook's not really allowing any of our posts to go up. Uh, turns out it's the series that Mark Zuckerberg doesn't want us to have. Um, so we'd love your help in spreading the word about left and right. Does that sound good? All right, all right. Well, why don't you go and grab uh, your Bible? I should say the Bible reading we heard today... Uh, was from like three weeks ago. I'm happy to do that sermon if you want, uh, but actually we're in Nehemiah chapter 11. Uh, so why don't you go grab your Bible, come with us to Nehemiah chapter 11. We are, uh, as Alex and Steph mentioned, in the final few weeks of this epic series. Uh, it's this extraordinary moment, isn't it, in salvation history where God uh, rescues his people from exile in Babylon to uh, establish them and their life, their worship, their community in Jerusalem. 
In Ezra uh, chapters 1 through to 7, we, we journeyed with the first wave of exiles as they returned home and built the temple. Uh, then in chapters 8 to 10, uh, we see the renewal of God's word and the covenant of God's people. Uh, and then in Nehemiah, uh, which is where we've been the last six weeks, uh, we've been with him and God's people as they've rebuilt the walls of the city. And so in many ways, you might think that the story at this point is over. It's not. Uh, There are still two, uh, three chapters, uh, still more for God's people to see and do. So uh, today we're going to be in chapters 11 and 12. uh, Three acts to navigate our time together. Act 1, drawing straws. Let's have a look at this reading together. Verse 1, Nehemiah says, Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine of the ten remained in the other towns. Now, often when we think about a great city, right? And remember, this is the kind of the vision here. Nehemiah's going to build a city here. Often when we think about a great city, our mind doesn't, it it, it immediately runs to images of like buildings and, and infrastructure, Right, so if I was to, I don't know, send a postcard from Melbourne, uh, what what images might we expect to see? The art gallery. What else? Trams going down Swanson Street. What else? The MCG. Right, the beautiful Yarra River. Right, so our mind runs to these things, doesn't it? Um, But but actually, whenever the Bible talks about a city. And really, whenever we should be thinking about a city, we should understand that a city is not so much about the height of its buildings or even its gardens or its beautiful cathedrals or rivers or whatever. Really, the heart of a city is its people, right? You and I, we don't just live in the city. We are the city. And this is what makes this a significant moment in Nehemiah's story. Right? As, as I've just summarized, he, he has come to rebuild the city and the temples there. The walls have gone up. The infrastructure is very much in place. But God's heart is never just in bricks and mortar. God's heart is for the people, the men and women who make up the city. To build a vibrant city. To build a city of renewal and worship. To build a city that would stand tall as a city on a hill and shine a light to the nations, you need people. And so here in chapters 11 and 12, you might just want to cast your eyes over those chapters. You're going to see Nehemiah documenting all the men and all the women and all the children from the Israelite community who were chosen from the surrounding towns and suburbs to relocate their life and family and move into the heart of the city. And can you tell me, how did they choose who among the community was called to relocate their family? Anyone see it? Casting lots. They cast lots. You know what casting lots is? In our day, casting lots would be the equivalent of rolling dice or drawing straws. Right? That's how they worked out who among the people of Israel were to relocate their family and live in the heart of the city. Now, you might be surprised to hear this, but in the ancient world, the casting of lots when it came to decision making was actually very common. 
Uh, for example, in uh, Jonah, uh, you may remember that the sailors, when they're trying to discern who brought God's wrath onto the ship, they cast lots, they draw straws, they roll the dice. Uh, in First Chronicles, we see Israel casting lots to discern who among them was going to serve in the temple. And even in the book of Acts, we read that when it came to replacing Judas, what did they do? They cast lots. Why? Why make big decisions with something as random as rolling dice? Well, it actually stems from a long-held conviction in the sovereignty of God. The men and women of Israel believed that everything in heaven and on earth moved in accordance with God's good and pleasing will. The rising of a king, the changing of a season, the spinning of a wheel, that crown, ultimately rests in the hand of a sovereign Lord. Proverbs 16 says, the lot is cast into the lap and every decision is from the Lord. Every decision is from the Lord. Now, does this mean we should be rolling dice whenever we make decisions? You know, next time you're trying to work out, watch the, I don't know, watch on Netflix or who to vote for. Should we just roll the dice? No. Why? Well, interestingly, as you move through the New Testament, you're going to see that the practice of casting lots fades into the background. Why? Anyone know what happens 40 days after Jesus' resurrection? Pentecost. All right, right? So God gifts his people with his spirit. Right? We, we see in the Old Testament the Spirit residing on a few, a select few. Here at Pentecost, we see the Spirit of God poured out upon God's people, not just in a temple, not just with a few kings. We, if you are in Christ, are filled with the Holy Spirit. And God is there with you, for you, to help guide you. Now, does this mean that decisions will always come easy? No. Does this mean that the decisions we make now are always going to be right? No. But what it does mean is that in Jesus, you have the mind of Christ. You have the spirit of the living God who, in accordance with his word, is to be a lamp to your feet. Right? We make hundreds, if not thousands of decisions every single day. How incredible it is that you and I can trust in the Lord. Instead of leaning on our own understanding, we seek his will. That's what I love about this scene in Nehemiah. You know, on the surface, the rolling of the dice to work out who lives where may appear small. But we're, but we're talking about a real significant decision with huge implications, this impacts their work. This impacts their schooling. This impacts where they shop, who they hang out with. This impacts friends. This impacts family. Right? This roll of the dice to work out who's going to live in the city, it turns everything upside down. And yet here they are entrusting themselves to God. They're going where he is calling them to go. 
to serve where he is calling them to serve. Think about that. You know, I've met a lot of Christians in my life who say, I'm following Jesus. But what do they actually mean by that? Sometimes if you look below the surface, you discover that their following of Jesus is a following in what's convenient for them. I really want this out of my life, and so I'm going to follow Jesus to get that, right? It's a Christianity via convenience. But it's only a matter of time before they discover a Christianity that comes with cost. Here are the men and women of Israel, and they're literally rolling dice and trusting God. That's, that's extraordinary. They're embracing the uncertainty of this moment. They're embracing the, the risk. You know, as we know, in the ancient world, cities came under attack. But they're embracing it. Why? Because deep in their bones, they knew that God is good. God had a plan for his people. And they wanted to be part of that promise. They wanted to see it fulfilled. And so they trusted him. Um, I, I remember the first time I met uh, Dave Martell. Uh, he was living in uh, Montreal, Canada. Do we have any Canadians here today? Yeah, we do. Good to see you, Nick. <laughs> right. Um, Canadians, by the way, are some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. <laughs> so nice. You could pour hot coffee on you and they'll say, oh, thank you. Right. They're, they're really nice. Dave, when I first met him, um, quirky guy, Dave... <laughs> had just finished recording his latest album. He was working in friendship and, and family. And yet we were talking because this role at, in the music team for City on a Hill Melbourne had, had opened up. And it was just like crazy to him and to me to consider that, wow, he, he might make that move, right? And yet he sought God's will and we sought God's will. And by God's grace, he stepped out in faith saying, hey, I want to be part of this church and I want to be part of this mission here in Melbourne. Right now, in the eyes of the world, decisions like that just seem crazy. But we live in the will of God, trusting God. Where he goes, we want to go. Where he calls us to serve, we want to serve. Where he says, I want you to build, we build. I had the joy of catching up with Ben this week at the Lincoln Hotel. Ben Suger and their three kids, part of our church family in Melbourne. Ben's preaching at Melbourne West today. Uh, Lord willing, in 2023, they're relocating their family to Ballarat. Why? Because they love Jesus. And they want to help plant a church, put a flag in the ground for Jesus. I love that obedience. I love that trust. I think also of um, Beck and Matt Uwe, uh, also part of our church here in Melbourne. They're working with CMS. They love Melbourne, love this city, love the church, yet feel a deep call to ministry in Japan. It's extraordinary. I don't know if you know this, but Japan is one of like the least representations of Christians in the world. Something like 1%. Right, 99% of people don't yet have a saving relationship with Jesus and they're feeling a call on their hearts to say, well, I've got to do something about that and they're going to relocate their whole family. Extraordinary. And this is what Jesus does. And this is what you and I need. Right, by show of hands, uh, who grew up here in Melbourne? 
All right, quite a few. Who, who's like relocated from another state, city, country, right? Even more. You know what we all share in common in this moment? It's the gospel of Jesus, right? It's the gospel of Jesus that says you're not a consumer in this city. You're not a tourist just passing through. And you know what? You're not even a critic, a critique of this city, a critic of this city. You're a Christian, Call to shine the light of Jesus, whether that's Ballarat, whether that's Canada, like whether that's Japan, or right here in Melbourne, we have a vision. We often say that City on a Hill is not a church that you just visit, it's a vision to embrace. That in your workplace, in your university, we are to shine the light of Christ. This leads uh, to our second act. Act two, holy water. So following the repopulation of the city, people moving in, there's trailers and setting up their homes. Uh, Nehemiah notes something quite remarkable took place. So have a look at chapter uh, 12, verse 30. Nehemiah says, And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. As the men and as the women enter the city, and they're establishing their families in the capital, Nehemiah says they're purified. That is to say, they were washed clean. Why? Well, this washing of God's people served as an outward sign of an inward grace. It's an outward sign of an inward grace. In the ancient world, there's a long-held view, which we still hold today, in the holiness of God. The holiness of God. The people of God, people of Israel, knew that God just wasn't mighty and powerful He was righteous and holy. He was without blemish. He was perfect. He is good, right? Like a warm cup of coffee on a cold winter's day. God is good. And he is perfect, right? Doesn't matter how far you go into the cupboards of his life, you'll never find any skeletons. He, he has a perfect sheet of justice and truth and, and life and love. In the same way that the sun gives light, God is holy. Not only that he reveals holiness, but he is holy. He's perfect. He is good. But of course, this comes with an inconvenient truth. To put it simply, God is holy, but we are not. The moment you get a glimpse of the magnificence of God is at the same time the moment you realize that you fall short. Oh, yes, every single person in this theater right now, made in the image and likeness of God. You are like God in so many wonderful, beautiful ways. You can love. And yet in your sin, isn't it true that sometimes that love can be misdirected or misplaced? We are like God. 
And yet in sin, we fall short. We declare truth. We have the capacity, the reason, the the desire to declare truth. And yet even that truth can sometimes dance with deceit. And isn't it also true that this, what the Bible calls sin, well, it fractures relationships. It brings harm to the environment. But even more fundamental or, or deep is the recognition that sin stains us. It marks us. It it, it, it sticks to us. It's like we carry these things in our past, don't we? And, And it's like we walk with that shame, embarrassment or or guilt. Right? Right? Sin sticks to us. And, and it's hard, isn't it, at times to know, well, what do I do with that? I was listening to a, um, a radio interview some time back, actually, on the ABC. And there was this honest moment uh, where the commentator was talking about a time he uh, was uh, speaking uh, at a high school. I think was, he was asked to talk on the topic of asylum seekers. And uh, he was there uh, talking about that. And this, listen to what he says. He says, during my presentation, I asked a question. The girl on my right, an attractive young lady, answered promptly and with accuracy. I congratulated her. Brilliant answer. I was going to say, not just a pretty face, but I realized I can't do that. So I said, not just an ugly face. The girl blushed. The class laughed. I shrank with shame. I was left with a feeling of guilt. Once again, I'd failed to govern my tongue. I'd hurt an innocent. He goes on. Over the following days and weeks, I pursued an opportunity to apologize to her. When eventually I managed to phone her and give her my name, she hung up. I'm left with a wrong done by me unrequited. And then he asks, so what do I do with my guilt? I think that question, what can I do with my guilt, is an incredibly honest and brave one. What can we do with our mistakes? What can you do with your sin? What can you do with your past decisions that you know were not only wrong but hurt people? For the men and women in Nehemiah, they were washed. Washed with the jars of purification. And this is the good news of the gospel, is that these waters of purification point us, don't they, to the good news of Jesus and what he has accomplished for you. That we, we, we are not washed in some temporal sense, but an eternal washing through the life, death, and blood of Jesus poured out for what? The forgiveness of sin. Let 
Remember what Paul says to the early church? I mean, we can just read through these as just another part of the Bible. Listen to what he says to the early church as they're grappling with their past mistakes and sin, as they're grappling with their desires and everything else that's going on and decisions they made and who they once were. As they're grappling fundamentally with their identity. Listen to what he says. Guys, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Right, if now, just if we could put up for a second the list of like sins that, that Paul, if we just put that up on the screen for a sec, uh, Paul lists all of these different sins. If you can, is that possible if we could do that? Go back a couple slides. There we go. All right, now if you could, I want to, this is going to be a little brave moment. If you can identify a time in your life where you have struggled with any of the sins that Paul mentions in verse 10, would you be so brave as to, and I'll lead the way here, raise your hand, right? If you can identify with him, ever stolen anything, ever been sexually immoral, ever worshipped something other than God, ever got hammered, drunk, raise a hand, right? Okay, keep the hand raised. Just have a quick look around. What do you see? A room filled very good-looking sinners. <laughs> right? That's who we are. No one entered this theater with a clean slate based on their own good works. No one enters the kingdom of God because, whoa, gee, didn't they have their life together? We all have our mess. We all have our muck. We all have made terrible decisions. Willfully, might I add... <laughs> But such were some of you. You have been washed clean. Just as the men and women in Israel entered the new city through this washing, guess what? The way you and I enter and remain secure in the kingdom of God is through the washing of Jesus. Right? If it was about my good works, your good works, man, that gate is shut, locked, bolted, you're done. But because of Jesus, the temple is torn, the gate is open, we're welcomed in, and we are washed. How many of you know that's good news? It's really good news. Because there are times in my own life where I get stuck thinking about my own sin. Right? And there are consequences for sin. We get that. But, but in Jesus, you don't need to cling to that. It doesn't need to own you. The devil can't accuse you. You've been washed. You've been born again. You've been made alive. You're a new creation. Why don't you take hold of that this week? Why don't you make choices in light of that? Right? Nehemiah actually calls this the holy city. Not only because they've been set, part, set free from their past, but they're called now into that new identity. Wow, if Jesus would do that for me and my past sin... Wow, I want to actually trust him now. 
I want to be more and more like him. God is just. Well, I'm going to pursue justice. God is true. Well, I want to be truthful. God is loving. Well, I'm going to work hard to be loving. Act three, final act. You ready for this? You ready to party like a rock star? Thanks to shop boys for that. Um, Immediately after the purification, Nehemiah, such a dude, this is what happens. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs and gave thanks. In verse 35, then we read of those who ascend the wall with trumpets. In verse 36, we read of an entire band who came forward with their instruments, right? And it's this choir and these musicians who are then positioned on the southern wall. Then, verse 38, the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall, right? So so you've got to piece this together, right? You have a... An image filled, the city filled with men and women and choirs and musicians and, and bands and they're surrounding the walls. They're up on the walls with their trumpets and then, and then they're filling and throwing, flowing through the city and towards into the temple. And what are they doing? Verse 43, they offer great sacrifices that day and what's that word? Rejoice. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Right? To summarize, they had one huge party. So loud, so joyful that it could be heard far away. Right now, think about this. It's been 141 years of despair. 141 years of ruin and rubble. 141 years of trouble. Remember Nehemiah 1? Great trouble and great shame. And they've worked hard, they stepped out in faith. They rolled up their sleeves. They got out the cement mixer. And they did that. They worked hard despite their doubts, despite the challenges, people pressing against them at every turn, and yet they continued to trust God. And here they are. They made it. And they're not only giving thanks for what they accomplished, clearly, They're celebrating, aren't they, the goodness of God. The Lord had said that he would go before them, and he did. The Lord had said, I will be your God, and he is. The Lord had said, I'm going to renew your life and your worship, and I'm going to rebuild this city. And the Lord was faithful to his promise. And so here they are sitting on a hill, gathering Feasting, blowing the trumpets, lifting their voices, celebrating God so loud that their joy was heard from far away. I remember some years ago, the comedian Steve Martin, remember him? Great comedian, appeared on uh, The Tonight Show with Dave Letterman, uh, and he sang the song, Atheists Don't Have No Songs. Remember that? 
Here, here it is. We've got the words up here. Christians have their hymns and pages. Hava Nagales for the Jews. Baptists have the rock of ages. Atheists just sing the blues. Catholics dress up for mass and listen to Gregorian chants. Atheists just take a pass, watch football in their underpants. Atheists, atheists, atheists don't have no songs. Right? It's, the, the men and women in Nehemiah had songs. Why? Because God had rescued them. God had delivered them from exile. God had loved them with his goodness and his kindness and his salvation and his renewal. And for you and I here today, living on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus, you, we, we've been invited into this same celebration. I know that um, life can feel heavy and there are big things in life to, na- to navigate. But in Jesus, do not forget the living hope that is yours. We have his life. You have his blessing. You have his presence. You've been welcomed into the celebration. I was chatting to a guy the other day, and he was saying that another minister was talking about City on a Hill, and he referred to us as the Happy Clappy Church. (laughs) The Happy Clappy. Now, I know, I, I sense he was giving it a bit of a dig in saying that, but I'm not convinced. Right? I actually think being happy and a little clappy among God's people could in fact be biblical. Right? I'm going to just go with me here. Psalm 98, the Bible says, what does it say? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Bring forth into joyous song and sing praises. You know what that is? That's a command. <laughs> Joy is not icing on the cake of Christianity. Joy is a core ingredient. Joy is a right response to the the good news of the gospel. Despite our sin, God has entered the stage of human history in Jesus. And though we rejected him, he loved you. And such was his love that he goes to the cross and we spat on him. We abused him. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And even when death was dancing on God's grave and God's people had given up, God was faithful to his promise. In the greatest triumph and victory, God raises Jesus, God's son, to life, declaring victory, declaring life, declaring salvation for all who are in him. In Jesus, we have joy and God calls for our celebration. He wants more than duty, more than discipline. He wants our delight. I know it can be tempting in life just to go through the motions. Even on a Sunday when we gather, I know those seats are very comfy. 
but we are here because of Jesus. We are here because we have in him something that transcends this world. And a right response is to sing and celebrate him. And we do that for one another. We do that for our own hearts. But ultimately, City on a Hill, we rejoice because of our good, good God. So you know what? We have an opportunity right now to put into practice this very message. We're going to sing together. The band comes up. Jess and the band comes up. Let me encourage you to sing loudly. Loudly. I don't, it doesn't really matter if you think you've got a good voice or bad. It really doesn't matter. The call is to sing loudly and joyfully. And if you, like me, sometimes struggle to... To take hold of that joy. Just take a moment right now to go through what you have in Christ. Right? Paul says we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. So yeah, there's probably some difficulties this week ahead at work and travel and all of these things. I know that and I get that and there's a place for that. But just now, could we lean in on the posture of gratitude and thanks and appreciation and praise in Jesus I've been born again in Jesus I have a living hope in Jesus I you we have a love that no one can take away so let's take this as an opportunity to worship God let's do it loudly let's do it joyfully and let's do it for God's glory let's stand and let's sing Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.